Grizzle Pod episode 31. We're here. Scott Willis, Tom George. You guys know what Grizzle is. It's growth. Growth all the time. And we're bringing the heat. Scott, we've got a special episode. But first, tell them what's on deck. Oh, man. We, we, got, we got a lot of drops happening. But first, you got to clear your calendar. November 22nd, 23rd. We're doing back-to-back conferences. You know nobody does it like Grizzle. So I'm going to give you the lowdown here. 22nd, first we're hitting you with the Psychedelics Con. Then the next day, 23rd, we got the Cannabis Con, right? So we got everything teed up, and the timing couldn't be any better for a Cannabis Con and a Psychedelics Con, frankly. You know, if you guys know Grizzle, you know timing is on point. We 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 we, we really excel at uh, making sure that that's, that's right. And obviously, right now, the market's just coming back. You have the best opportunity to see the best executives in the industry, both psychedelics and cannabis, back-to-back in a format that is the way investors should hear it with other investors, right? This is not like, hey, hey, take five minutes. Talk about your PowerPoint deck. You can do that from your own desk. Don't do that. You, What you want is insightful questions, Scott. This is what investors should crave, right? And that's what GrizzleCon is known for, and that's why, Scott, we are the number one brand in investing conferences. This is just a start, guys. There are much more, there's much more down the pipe, but I won't talk about that. We got Psychedelics Con and Cannabis Con on deck. Nobody tees it up like us. If you see, watch the our last conferences and then you'll know what you're in, is in store, except this time will be even bigger, even better. Exactly. Scott, before we move on, gotta talk about what's on your head there. That fine hat, you guys obviously, those on on the pod aren't are, can't see it, but go 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 to YouTube, watch it. GRZZ, he's got a beautiful hat. Oh man, it's, it's uh, the swag has come in. Uh, we got more swag coming. Obviously, we bring all of Grizzle merch is on point. Uh, so we got lots of things on tap. So stay tuned for that, and stay tuned for the GRZZ. That's the Grizzle ETF that's coming in December. Yeah, a lot more to drop on that. But first things first, we got the Canvas Con and the Psychedelics Con coming. So uh, that's you know less than less than two weeks away. Exactly. So Scott, we got it. this episode is on cannabis. Wow, Ooh, I'm excited. Our, our bread and butter. We get to talk about it. So there's the, you know stocks are on the move. There's a lot going on. Everyone's asking the question. This has been a dog of a sector. Everyone wants to know has cannabis have cannabis stocks bottomed. We're going to try to answer that question today. Absolutely. So, let's, so let's why don't why don't we start with some performance, right? Just to catch people up because this industry moves so fast. We got to look at the MSOS and, ETF. Yeah, and and Scott, just a little bit of a rewind from last year. We uh, last sorry last week, uh, we took the cl- uh, we took a clip and that we we had that on Twitter. But I was just talking about just we 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 talked about what happened the previous Friday, not this Friday, previous Friday, not that, that would have been November fourth, fifth. Um, and that just that long candle wick, let's show them the graph. We, I, you know, and I just said, listen, Spidey Sense is saying here, and I'm basing, basing. That was the word I used, man, basing. We're yeah, basing. Vol- volume's important here. So you just, if you, if you look at the MSOS ET- ETF, you see volume has kind of gone gangbusters. Okay, Scott, you want to, for, for those listening, you want to tell, tell everyone what the MSOS ETF is and why that's so important to U.S. cannabis stocks? Yeah, this is one of the bellwethers we look at for cannabis because it holds a lot of U.S. names, 
versus other cannabis ETFs you may look at are holding a lot of Canadian names only. So this is the closest to the pure play of, you know, we favor US names. And so this is the one that's holding most of those stocks. That's right. And so we like to look at it for what what is sentiment in the cannabis industry, but also towards US cannabis. And so, I mean, basically, if if you can't see the chart, it's just volume was running along at like a 500,000 shares a day. And then it just hit its highest level ever on around the November 4th. Since then, we've had a few really big days. So volume has really picked up in this sector. Yeah, exploded would be the term, Scott. It's, it's yeah, that's, that's a better word. It's exploded higher. So, you know, uh, obviously, volume and price move in tandem and you, you, you watch but you know when you watch things like this especially um how how challenged uh the the cannabis space has been this year it, with respect to everything else in the market uh that's been ripping um you know days days like we had two Fridays ago those were just i said listen market this is interesting basing is how i termed it uh but let's just say last week was a follow through scott like it really was a classic Listen, you have you have a huge candle wick. Let's see what comes of it. And last week was a confirmation, Scott, right? Yeah. And also, I mean, it's not like this is out of the blue. We have no idea what's driving this. There are some fundamental things going on in Washington that does seem to be the catalyst the industry needs. So, I mean, there's lots of bills. We're going to talk more about that. Yeah. But first, I just want to take you guys through. So what's been happening in November so far and put it in perspective for the entire year. If, if you're just, if you're new to cannabis or if you haven't been following it lately. Yeah. So first you got to look at kind of things started moving. November 4th was, was a big day and there's been follow through since then. So if you look at that MSOS fund that we mentioned, it's up 25% since the fourth yeah. and versus the S and P is flat. So that's massive outperformance. So you might be like, oh man, like cannabis must, must've been a great trade all year. But let's let's back up a little bit and put it in perspective. So I have a year-to-date chart. Now, before this run on November 4th, the MSOS ETF was underperforming the S&P 500 by 50% this year. So, so Scott, if I could even rewind right there, like this is year-to-date. What a ride, right? So, and everyone who has been in cannabis has felt this ride. Basically, since the start of the year, you were on the euphoric high because you were outperforming the S&P 500 by 50%. And then you rewind it. It's, I can't it, believe it. it. What man volatility. Like, like, do you know what it was? I have to say, because, you know, a lot of our dear friends, close friends um, in social media, Twitter, uh, you know, we just that kind of euphoria to depression I can truly say, Scott, in the time frame we experienced it, I've never seen anything like that. Like that kind of rip your face off entertainment, like jubilation, and then just rug pull like you've never seen rug pull. It just it, like, and obviously you had straight up like more than six months of that rug yeah, pull, just, just just every day, every day. And you and through that period, you're seeing the S and P just chugga 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 high, new high, new high. You know, it's it's it gets get tiring, right? And obviously, um, whoever came up with the diamond hand thing, you know what? It just becomes a mantra, right? You kind of need that stuff to ride this. Yeah, you just got to believe that the long term is going to be there. But so it says, like this run has been explosive. I mean, if you got in now, you're you could be up twenty five percent since the fourth. Sure, but. 
not a lot of people were in. They they believed in it back when the, the reason it went crazy is because we had some amazing catalysts with uh, Democrats winning more seats than everyone expected. And that makes right. a lot of sense. Right. And then, you know, just it kind of lost momentum after that. But we might be getting getting a bit again. Of course. And so we mentioned the volume. Uh Maybe we want to talk about some of the catalysts behind why the stocks are running. Yeah, there, there yeah, are yeah. some legit ones there. So, you know, just just rewinding a little bit, right? So, uh, the setup here is that just all the bad news is in, right? It's got like you got like a ton of bad news that's in. We talked about it. It's just it, the times these recoveries happen is when all the bad news is out, right? You kind of it's just there's not a silver lining anymore. You're like, okay, is it gonna is it even gonna happen in this term? Are, are we gonna get any movement on the file? And that that kind of capitulation, where like, listen, we're gonna leave the sector for dead. Mind you, Scott's got some incredible charts uh, that that are gonna talk about the profitability of this sector that you know that's coming up. But this is not like. It's not like 3D printing, Scott. You know what I mean? This is not like some fucking conceptual thing. And you're like, listen, Johnny boy, you know what? We won't have to get that computer for anymore because daddy's buying a 3D printer and he's going to make everything for you. Like, this is not this is not stuff like that. This is like a real sector that just kind of totally fell out of favor that was producing cash flow. And the demand's left. already there, right? It's, it's a sector where you have the black market that's already well-established and mature with tons of sales and demand, yeah. right? So right. it's not like you need to change how the world works in any way like this already is a counter cyclical industry when yeah. people were locked down for covid or there's a recession they smoke more they buy more alcohol it's just how that, it works that's right so. exactly you know and and uh and that that kind of like you know it's 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 just interesting right because obviously it's a gross sector but one of the few gross sectors we're going to have charts there it's one of the few gross sectors that truly is set up uh because of the underlying profitability, right? Like usually you have to, you know, it's not like space travel, Scott. No, yeah, it's not a lot of those stocks that, you know, ran in March with cannabis. Those are way off their highs and aren't catching a bid. Cannabis is, you know, it had some tough times for six months, but the underlying fundamentals of the business have never been better than they, they are today. No, so yeah, so let's talk about some of the politics, right? That's that's what we got next on deck. Obviously, lots of stuff moving this weekend. Do you want do you want to pop that? Yeah. So there's there's basically three things I would point to that are that have been driving the stocks that kind of kick things off November fourth. So you had a new bill from the Democrats that is moving through, you know, the Senate and the House. That would be a legalization bill of some sort. You know, just open things up cannabis wise. Then you what kind of gave the industry more legs was a Republican bill is uh, is being brought to the floor at some point soon. And so everyone's like, Republicans in the Senate are the ones who block everything cannabis. Yeah. So maybe there's a better chance one of these gets through if it's coming from Republicans. So just these things, like at the end of the day, the more bills that are out there, it just shows that there's more representatives that are willing to stick their neck out for cannabis, which is a positive sign. Then we got a third piece of information on like Thursday, I think. There's a representative Nancy Mace is bringing another bill on, and Monday she's going to talk about it and give all the details. That's right. And so this has been, you know, tweeted by some big accounts. And it's just one of these things when you get like this flood of new bills that have cannabis in them the industry usually gets, uh, you know, gets a nice pump from that. Yeah. And, you know, so the account specifically is uh, Pomp. 
A Pompliano, uh, obviously, he's one of the big accounts. He's, I think he's got 1.3 million followers. Uh, he's known for uh, the uh, the diamond hand Bitcoin guy. Um, you know, Bitcoin. He still has laser eyes. A lot of the guys took their laser eyes <laughs> yeah. off, but he just he's always has them on. No, he's a 24 seven rocking it. Uh, but yeah, yeah, so he you know he had this tweet. New legislation will be reportedly will reportedly be proposed Monday to legalize marijuana at a federal level, along with the 3.75. 3.75% tax on sales. And uh, his thing is, listen, we should uh, immediately legalize marijuana and release every person from prison uh, for nonviolent crimes. Obviously, this all makes sense. And enough is enough. It's a plan. Now, the thing here is obviously what we're seeing at a high level, Scott, and kill this. Um, so what we're at a high level here, um, way we can think about this is that you're getting a uh from a sentiment perspective right now scott you're getting a flood of just interest back in the sector that has been void for months and months and months since basically we saw the memeing of stop you know of of canopy growth you know, all of those guys like since that kind of euphoric uh february uh early march period we haven't seen this kind of excitement across social media and i'll tell you this scott i'll i'll, I'll tell i'll tell you this one of the things that, especially for emerging growth sectors, keeping the pulse on social media, that's something that retail investors have an edge versus their institutional peers. They it, like- It's incredible. so important. When, yeah, when it's a sector that's driven by retail with the way social media works now, the power of it and how many investors are on it, it does definitely give you an edge and something you need to do to read the tea leaves, be listening to all these guys because they're all out there talking to each other. And that's, that's, I think, a benefit to us of being on Twitter. We have a very vibrant cannabis community, so it helps us read how people are feeling about things. Yeah, and, and so someone, uh, so there are, I know there are uh, some some guys who have programs who aggregate, like, what tickers are, are being talked about the most. And uh, one of the graphs, I, I, you know what, I'll, I'll, we'll show it on a future one, but one of them was showing uh, MSOS, which was the advisor shares uh, U.S., Cannabis ETF was basically the top dollar sign ticker in all of uh, in all of Twitter, which is quite su substantial, right? Wow. And so, what we've shown in the past, remember, Scott, like when you come back to stocks that were memed because of Wall Street bets, you remember Swaggy Trades from old yeah. Swaggy. <laughs> so, so, so there, there's <laughs> love Swaggy Trades. <laughs> so we, we're gonna buy them out at a yeah, like, like like us, he believes in free content. Yeah. It's uh no no we we're like this this is incredible data like we just like I got we got we just said listen we got to reach out to this guy right but uh but what Swaggy was showing was pretty fascinating right he was showing basically volume of sentiment on Wall Street bets what stocks they like similar sort of stuff and I think this is really some of the interesting things uh just w when you're looking at what how Grizzle thinks about it this is multi-dimensional stuff that. Basically, institutional investors don't think about they, they haven't incorporated into their into their philosophy. And this is what is at the core of Grizzle. We're saying, listen, the intersections of insight, data, social velocity, sentiment, it's a dynamic puzzle that isn't, hey, Merrill, what do you got? What's your stock? What should I buy? I hear yeah. cannabis is running. What do you like? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's much, much deeper than that now. But what's great is you don't have to be a big investor throwing tons of money at the banks to have an no, edge. No, it's free. No, no it's, uh, it's, uh, it's an amazing time. So that's kind of the touch and feel of this thing, Scott. What else you got on deck? What so there's a nuance. So we've been talking about overall performance of the ETF. 
But there's a nuance because remember, there's Canadian cannabis companies and there's U.S. cannabis companies. And so we wanted to first we're going to show you a chart and some performance of U.S. versus Canada and then talk about what we've observed in March of this year that changed our opinion a little bit on Canada versus the U.S. So first is the chart we just threw up uh, how Cureleaf's been doing since this run began on November 4th. And then we have two Canadian names, Sundial Growers and Canopy Growth. And what it's showing is Canopy and Cureleaf kind of in the same boat. Cureleaf outperformed Canopy by a 2%, well, by 3%. But then Sundial, which became somewhat of a meme stock the last time cannabis stocks run, it's happening again. So Sundial is up 40%. But this this is a good lesson, I think, when it comes to Canada versus US. I don't know, Tom, do you want to talk through what actually happened in March that we weren't necessarily expecting? Yeah, and, and I, I know Scott and I talked about this. We, you know, we talk about this all the time, you know, just, but just this is, so again, this is what precursor to this. We just talked about a lot of stuff that's US related. We're showing Canadian companies. Um, but it's interesting here, right? So Curaly, fully exposed to the U.S., is up 18%. Canopy with nothing, like, you know, obviously some options on the table. Like, yeah, like, they have a lot of options, but no no operations in the U.S. really. It, exactly, and it's up 15%. And, you know, th there's that disconnect. You're saying, well, wait a minute, right? And, and again, and then obviously then you have some more torquey stuff like Sundial up, up 40%. Um, now, Scott, just to let people know, uh, we, we, we have, uh, we, you know, we're going to, we're going to have this, you know, we'll keep the, the agenda. We'll put it out on Monday. So if you're listening, we'll have, we'll have everything out on Monday, but the cannabis con is going to be great because we're going to have every, the whole cross section of the industry. But really, Scott, what is interesting here is the dynamic, you know, the last time cannabis ran Scott in, in earlier this year, what was, uh, I guess, you know, I guess Many were were at trouble is the word. I, mean, I don't know if I'm searching for the right word, but those that were uh, deep in the you know U.S. cannabis, this is the time were kind of you know it, it was miffed. I think miffed is the right word. That why are these Canadian stocks running? This makes no sense. Like we need to get some you know more love, but the reality is a functional reality, right, Scott? And I think you explained it the best. It's the domino setup. You want to talk through the dominoes? I know, like, because the reality here, is there's two things. A, the simplest thing is that you've got traders, retail traders reaching for things, right? And let's be frank, a retail trader isn't like, give me the best ETF. That's just not how a retail YOLO type trader thinks. They're like, give me stock I can push up, you know, swing around. I can buy liquid options, you know, that sort of thing, right? It's ETFs don't, uh, YOLO traders aren't YOLOing ETFs, just the reality of their YOLOing stocks and stories, yeah. right? So that, yeah. so all these stocks for American investors, the ones that are liquid are Canadian names because the US names can't be listed on the US exchanges. Now, Scott, do you wanna talk about the domino setup here? when we think about legislation and why they would like, you know, why that pulls through. Yeah. So from the Canadian angle, fundamentally, it makes sense that you Canadian stocks could outperform because they, if there's legislation wins, it lets them get into the U S and that's a big, faster growing market than Canada. And it's a much larger market. So they can, speed up everything that's happening for them. They can grow faster, more profits, all that stuff. So that oh, makes sense. But Scott, but let's just be clear, right? This is like safe banking. Like that's not going to impact 
that's not going to impact the Canadian name. But but you, you you talk through the domino of that because obviously that starts to open the Pandora's box, right? Yes, I think. It- for example, safe banking would allow cannabis companies to have like normal bank accounts and, and you know, borrow from banks. But that alone is not going to let uh, these companies that are stuck in Canada on smaller exchanges just go to the NASDAQ or NYSE, but it'll get there. I think there'll be a domino where once you say that the banks know we're not going to get in trouble for, you know, banking these guys, then because it's all like part of the financial system, you get to that you can trade on the exchange pretty quickly after that. That's that's some people in the industry have that view. I agree with that view. So I, I think that's partly why the Canadian guys are running. But the important thing that we're talking about here is volume. That's good. volume matters. And so number one, these retail traders, they don't know every stock in the game. So they look for what's visible and what you know people already know. People know Canopy Growth. People know Aurora. They know these ones that are on the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ better than these other companies that we talk about all the time, True Leaves, Cure Leaf. Those guys still are on like the pink sheets in the US, which is over-the-counter exchange That's right. That's or the right. CSC. Not everyone knows about that. If you're in cannabis you know, for a long time, you're like, how can anyone not know? But when people are just like, oh, cannabis may be running again, yeah, yeah. I got my Canopy on the big board. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go for it. Well, you know, I follow a lot of these accounts that are, you know, like that are just kind of momentum. You know, they don't really know what's really functionally happening in any parts of the market, but they got a ton of followers. They just kind of waves of just things moving around. And when they're like, oh, cannabis stocks and you're like, OK, what stocks are they mentioning? It's never the true leaves. It's never the ones that are operating. It's always the trading vehicles, right? And so the grand theory here is, and again, you have to be dynamic in this market, right? We saw what happened in Q um, in Q one. We actually had Canadian exposure. Uh, was it was it really punchy and large? No, but it was sizable. It wasn't like a zero. And when we did the attribution, so when you, you know. We so when we ran our portfolio, did the attribution, we're like, wow, this like the just the the amount of performance that was attributed to the Canadian side, it just was it really got us thinking. But I I really want to emphasize here the dynamic approach, and this is how we think about growth stocks in general too, right? Make sure that you have a diversified approach, and make sure you know because things come from every which way, Scott. And I think the reality here is that. Now, you may want to say that it's not directly impacting Canada, and so Canadian uh, Canadian um, uh, operating uh, LPs, uh, licensed producers, should have no business going up. But you have to think about the volume, how it all plays together. All of these things come together. And ultimately, Scott, I am of the view now for sure that – if we start to see the dial start to move, you, you'll get a crescendo effect. And I'm going to throw it out, right? So you're going to see this dynamic where Canadian uh, Canadian cannabis stocks keep up with the U.S. companies. And then some may even outperform because that's where the, where, where the volume is. But then you'll finally have this crescendo when the large U.S. MSOs and every other U.S. Uh, U.S. plant-touching plant uh, company that, that are currently listed on Canadian minor exchanges like the CSE, once they get uplisted, that next whoosh happens, and then you get a period where the U.S. companies outperform and the Canadians kind of flatline. That kind of thing. Yeah, because we're, we're not looking at apples to apples right now because of that liquidity. 
even though fundamentals, you can argue all day that the U.S. companies are more profitable or growing faster. That's right. Liquidity is important in the stock market. So if, if investors are just like, I want to invest in a trend, what can I find quickly? What's liquid? What has options? Like they like doing calls. That's right. The U.S. guys don't have any of that. So it's not the same. So U.S. guys may be better fundamentals, but all these other important factors, they're much worse off right now. Yeah. So you have to be a realist, I think. You can't just put on your fundamental hat and just argue like March showed us that liquidity is a very important thing to keep in mind. For sure. And so here and if you know, want to play devil's advocate as well to say, listen, what could what could what could change that? Because we're still very, very much overweight US, right? And we're just saying, listen, just to calibrate that, I think having uh a, a can, Canadian stocks from just from what we'd witnessed, forget about valuation, but just from just these technical aspects, you just will have the same kind of torque. But I want, want to say the other thing too, what could really be the, you know, be the other side of this, Scott, is that it's not the retail traders, but because MSOS is, uh, is US listed and, and basically any wealth advisor could buy it, you could potentially still see the next wave of, you know, asset managers, wealth managers, right? You know, the people managing high net worth individual money saying, listen, I'm going to put you in a plug of this. This is the future here. Click. And, you know, it matches. This, this is this is some of these Canadian big board listed ones you're talking about. No, no, yeah. So th this is no, this is I'm talking MSOS. Right. So I'm talking wealth advisors in America saying, listen, like right now you're getting the dynamic of retail YOLO traders driving Canadian yeah, stock specific, not stock -specific. necessarily ETF. I'm certain there's only a, a billion dollars is still a very massive, massive uh, ETF in, in MSOS. But let's be frank, a billion dollars in the large scheme of wealth in America, wealth managers is still nothing. Yeah, early days. Right. So if you start to see wealth managers in the U.S. say, you know, this is one of those growth trends, uh, U.S. listed, I can't access the actual companies or pink sheets, right, and true leave, et cetera, but I can get this ETF, fit it into my asset allocation wheel for my clients. You've got the tailwind of basically legalization to come. Um, you can argue to your clients you're diversified, even though this industry, I think it's not at that point. <laughs> yeah, and and then then further to that, Scott, what you have is you have a dynamic which matters, right? Because if I start, if I add like a space ETF, you know what that does to my portfolio characteristics? Like it basically shoots out my price to sale. Like everything starts to look stupid. And now you can add a US ETF where the fundamentals look great. And it actually starts to enhance the, the you know, the characteristics of the, of, of the overall portfolio for their clients. So it kind of, there's like a lot of reasons that I think the other side of that could work too. But again, um, this is you. You guys know Grizzle calls it like it is, and this is how we're seeing this all come through. But it's it's been a fascinating year in terms of just making sure we're thinking about the dynamics correctly. So if I had to simplify this conversation, I feel like so for now there's retail traders buying back into this sector, and so that's where Canadian names can run as well as U.S. names because of the liquidity thing. Liquidity benefits Canada, and then the US names the better fundamentals, so that's why people would buy them. But then it gets to a point where we know if you get legal wins in Washington, it's not like it flips the switch tomorrow and you can, and then all these Canadian names are listed on the big boards, but investors, 
you know, institutional investors will probably want to throw money in because they see that the, the laws are changing, but they can't do it still with the U.S. guys. The only way they could do it with the U.S. is through the ETF. So then you can see the advisors flowing into the ETF. So it's kind of like a, a domino effect, depending on who's putting the money in. Yeah, very good point. And then also you could see institutional like asset managers, right? Who yeah, the more, big guys, the hedge funds and the big institutions. Exactly, because right now you're a big reason we we're in this bear market is a lot of custody issues. Banks not wanting to deal with this stuff. Where you where ultimately um, you'll you'll get the unwind of that, where uh, you'll get asset managers saying, "Listen, I want to get ahead of this. I'm going to buy the pink sheets of this because I know where this all going to go." Yeah. OTC. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so that's uh, – Scott, what do you – well, let's talk about valuations. We're talking about valuations in broader sense. Yeah, we, now, we have one good chart I think to kind of just – for this this piece of the puzzle. You know, we keep talking about fundamentals, but we have one chart for you that just shows why these things look so attractive versus every other sector. Yeah, let's pop that chart up. So basically um, this is from our good friend uh, Todd Harrison who's uh, one of the OGs of cannabis investing on Twitter. And, uh, you know, he's always – prolific about, uh, you know, just sharing data with everyone. This is a chart that compares uh, the MSO industry, so U.S. Uh, multi-state operators, industry growth relative to other industries. Um, so the growth rate, that's the x-axis, uh, and then plots that against EV, EBITDA, so enterprise value. It's basically value the against. price you're paying for the for the companies. Exactly. So basically plotting growth versus, versus valuation, right, and where, where things stand. And there's this significant outlier which is uh, US MSOs where they have like 100% growth, but they're trading at like seven times EV EBITDA. Yeah, and, and the closest sector besides that is growing at around, it looks like 40%, and then it's at 12 times EV EBITDA. Yeah, and, and so this is from Needham. Uh, I've seen ver many variations of this, Scott. I think you've produced many variations of this, right? Yeah. So in terms of like getting granular, what the one chart that you've always shown, uh, we've, we've shown through the year, because we follow all growth sectors. Like I think we can take away half these dots because they're just dead industries. But you, the one shot, the chart that you've always showed, Scott, is uh, the software sector, which I would argue is the next highest growing sector period in the economy. Um, yeah. You know, and again, we're going to say, listen, there are there's different puts and takes here, too, because software, uh, just the margin dynamic is, is a lot different, too. So yeah, you have to adjust for that, too. But I mean, the, mar the market is kind of just pricing software on uh, sales growth at this point. That's right. Uh, so, you know, the, in terms of a sector with, you know, growth prospects like they have. And evaluation that's you know in line with a lot of just regular industries. It's it's uh it's a it it's it's a unique situation, right? And and how do you get to this unique situation, Scott? You get there because of like some kind of frictional issue, and the frictional issue is very simple: government, right? Yeah, yeah. It's government, and then also lately with the financial industry, it's become harder to just buy cannabis stocks too. So it's a it's a lot of friction investing and regulatory there's there's still a lot of roadblocks so that for us i mean that's opportunity because that tells you that it's not a crowded trade which is what you want that's uh it bingo 100 percent, right you you know all things equal you want to be uh using the old gretzky overused analogy a million times you want to be where the puck is going to be 
not where it is right now. Yeah. And there's one other chart that goes with this. I don't have it today, but I, I can explain it. I, I, if you followed our live shows, talk about it a lot. The whole time this industry was selling off from the March highs, I was talking mm -hmm. about it. Fundamentals were great. Revenue kept going up. Profitability kept going up. So as far as the multiple you were paying for these companies, it's now back to where it was in September, early September of 2020. That was before any of those legal wins that sent the stocks to new highs. So that that kind of like, that helped me sleep at night. The, the prices might be going down, but everything just got cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and wasn't pricing in any of the legal wins in Washington that we had. No. All right, Tom, it's time for earnings. So we had some cannabis earnings to go with just the stocks running. So I'm, I'm going to help you guys understand what's what happened and then how to think about a basket of stocks. If you want to go outside just MSOS and you want to buy individual stocks, which is what we do at Grizzle, help you understand whether you just you know buy the basket or there's certain ones that are like the must-owns. So first, let's just look at the four companies that reported last week. Um, it was kind of a mixed bag, but three out of four of them went up on earnings. Cureleaf was the only one that uh, both disappointed versus estimates. It wasn't a huge disappointment. It was it was small, but you know small disappointments could have big impacts on price, as we've seen. Yep. So Cureleaf missed on revenue and EBITDA. Cresco and Columbia Care missed on revenue, but not EBITDA. So EBITDA is kind of like the margins are still there, the profitability is still there, and so. And then Green Thumb beat on everything else. So Green Thumb was up on earnings. Cresco was up on earnings. Columbia Care was up. Cureleaf was down. But then the whole industry got a boost going into the end of the week. So Cureleaf kind of clawed all that back. Yeah, you know, I find this kind of interesting, right, Scott? Like, basically, you had an incredible week. Obviously, there were some beats, uh, you know, below the revenue line. But I genuinely think, like, generally... Um, you know, this kind of scorecard shouldn't lead to like the type of week we had, which really shows you how much like just negative sentiment is just getting unwound right now, right? When you're having misses on the top line, three out of the four, uh, you know, bigger one, bigger, bigger companies to report that like general takes here. Uh, and obviously these companies are growing at very high clips. You can see them right there, but genuinely misses. Like we are following the rest of the market, Scott. I think we're going to talk a little bit about that later. But misses have not been treated nicely in this market. No. So it shows you sentiment is one thing and it can be separate from fundamentals. So the fundamentals here are a miss is a miss because what it means is the market's expecting a certain thing. They've been disappointed. The stock should go down. So if it's not, it tells you that sentiment has changed and people are just more bullish on the whole sector. So they're looking through this. So like this isn't important right now. Yeah, you know, it's just it's fascinating that point you make there, Scott. It just really is that every other sector there was much basically those those stocks were at highs and so much was getting baked in that it almost had to the air had to be let out of that. Whereas here, it, you're talking about a deflated tire anyways. <laughs> what, what, yeah. what do you you know? Who what's cares? a what's a what's a, like a three percent miss matter when there's like things happening in Washington? That's what people That's care right. about right now. That, and the company is growing forty percent per year. Yeah. Yeah. A small miss like that is fine when it still is putting up great results. Yeah. Now, uh, the growth is what I want to look at. This this really helps put it in perspective for me as I compare these big companies. So number one, you want 
cash. You want to make sure these companies aren't going to run out because that hamstrung Canada. There were a lot of companies that were trying to grow too fast and they were playing, they were flying too close to the sun where they said, eh, if we need more money, we'll just borrow it. But then the market shut down and they'd spent too much and they couldn't cut expenses fast enough and they ran into all these money problems. What, it, what happened is guys either took out debt that was so expensive, they ended up getting owned by the people that lent them money or they just ran out of money and they had to restructure. So yeah. that happened to a bunch of Canadian guys. So uh, let's look at revenue growth here. I, I've looked at the, we like to look at the big four MSOs because they're kind of like the, the bellwether. So if you look at their growth from the first quarter of 2019, that's when most of them went public and they really were kind of ramping up in their states. It's pretty similar. They're all on the same growth trajectory and where they've gotten to now is similar. The only nuance I'd say is if you look at TrueLeave, TrueLeave grew organically for a long time because they were in Florida. While these other guys were buying into new states, buying companies, TrueLeave was just opening new stores in Florida. So you can see its growth was slower, but it got to the point where they said, we're pretty much built out in Florida. Let's go hard in other states. They bought Harvest. That's why you see this big jump up in the chart when you would start to incorporate Harvest. So TrueLeave is fighting with everyone else. So from a growth perspective, all these guys are growing at similar rates, basically. Yeah, you know, in, in growth investing too, Scott, it's just really, just it's a dynamic of separating organic versus, you know, obviously acquisition-driven growth. And But in a sector like cannabis, you're going to see that. It, this is, when you, when like this chart is so fascinating because it really, what it really is showing is that, you know, um, a company like TrueLeave, uh, you know, versus other peers, every they can they can all take different paths here, right? Uh, but ultimately, you know, it, it truly you get, get to, to the, the same, same place. place. Yeah, yeah. So if, if, from, if you make the right acquisition, obviously Kim's Kim's yeah. uh, Kim's done a good job there in terms of making sure she's she's on the leaderboard here. Uh, so yeah. And the way the market is set up right now, there's a lot of excess profits to be made in cannabis because remember, a lot of these states are locked down. They're not recreational yet. They're medical. And so only a few people get licenses. That means there's more people that want to buy cannabis than those that can sell it. And so they yeah. get better pricing. And so you can argue by doing the M&A and being in a lot of states, you make more money now while there's excess profits to be made. And now, so from this perspective, basically what this tells me is I can just buy all the big MSOs and they're all going to trade pretty similar because they don't have cash problems. They're all growing at similar rates. So it's kind of by the basket. And then you get some diversification just as something happened where a CEO got arrested or something like that that protects you that way versus just saying, I'm going to pick one. Yeah. Now, there's another way I looked at it because... You know, this makes it look like Trulieve is growing slower, but these companies are at slightly different time periods. Like Trulieve was farther along a bigger company. So obviously as you get bigger, you grow slower. So what That's I did right. is I adjusted all these guys to say, well, what was their growth like once they hit a hundred million in revenue? That's a good way to compare because then they're all in the same life cycle. Yeah, so Scott, this is this is why you listen to the professor, man. But the professor's doing stuff like this. You're crushing it, man. You know, when Scott brought that, I'm like, that's a great idea, right? Because you you know, it's just like comparing like, you know, apples and oranges, like a company that's like a quarter of the size, of course they're gonna grow up bigger, right? Yeah, it's you know, easy. they're gonna Yeah. So so, so if you look at True Leave, it looks a lot different for them. When 
basically all these guys are pretty much in the same boat, except Trulieve looks really good when you just look at, you adjust the time period evenly for everyone. So Trulieve was tracking with Green Thumb and Cresco. Cureleaf was growing faster than all of them, but they've slowed down a little bit. But now Trulieve has accelerated. So it's just, this was a decision by management teams how to do things. All the other guys but Trulieve were saying, we're going to buy a lot of stuff. We're going to buy expand. Trulieve said organic only. But then earlier this year, Kim Rivers of Trulieve was like, it's time to buy. And so she's caught up to everyone. Fascinating. This is a real fascinating take. Just how fast do you grow after 100 million of rev? And uh, lo and behold, assuming you have good management at the helm and uh, that is one thing that US MSOs have each one of these companies I think you can say hey listen you know these are these are, the, you do have uh, good stewardship here that you didn't have on the Canadian side I think uh, it's uh, it, it's telling and it what it does argue for Scott is is a diversified approach among these companies right because you know you're just like hey listen um, the, all these companies are set up where you know they're achieving their growth rates uh, you know they're doing margins. It's it's uh, it's a good setup. Yeah, and it, what's interesting for me is you know you you want to basically own a basket of these guys because they're all doing similar things. They're under the surface. They may be doing things like building super fans or creating unique products that once the industry matures, it will allow them to generate better profits for longer. But it's still too early for that. All we can judge by is are they growing fast and are there profits? And all these guys are doing both. So you can buy all of them and you get the diversity, diversification, and then you, uh, you know, they're all doing well. But it's just too early in the industry to start judging and saying, well, these guys are super fans and these guys don't, or this vape pen is, you know, is a revolution versus everyone else. You, you don't yeah, need like to go down into that level of granularity. And there's ge geographies as well too, right, Scott? Like you know, you, you you what you also get is a diversified uh, map, which matters, right? You know, some states aren't going to be banging as as much as like say others, right? It's it's just, just the way America is. You know what? What this chart shows me that if everyone's growing at similar rates, they're not all in the same states. So it just shows me the makeup of cannabis in the U.S. is pretty similar, like. There's nothing special going on underneath. It's like you move into limited license markets. If you're one of those license holders, you can make good money and then you move into a new state. So it's just kind of that, again, tells you just own the basket of these guys because there's not like one state is totally different than the other ones. They're all kind of rolling out and working the same way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and another way to say that too is that there is just this underlying latent demand for cannabis in America and that you know once you once you turn states whether it's a red state blue state doesn't matter people are smoking pot in that state yeah it, it seems to be like, it's kind of the same level of demand by state it varies a bit but it just yeah you you get the legal wins people switch from the black market to the legal market sure yeah. okay and then there's one more chart just to talk about that's uh, EBITDA, which is basically like cash flow. So it's just interesting where these companies are now. Um, I looked at what is their EBITDA per share, okay? So this is you buy a share of the company, what's your ownership of the cash flow? And this is for 2022, so this is an estimate. And it just shows you that 
some of these companies have taken different routes to the same place. So again, TrueLeave grew organically, which means they issued less stock. So there were less shares outstanding than some of these other guys. So that is why they look head and shoulders on EBITDA per share compared to other people where everyone is good, but it's just, it's a decision that isn't good or bad until we look in hindsight, we won't know. So Curly, for example, did a lot of buying early. And so they had to issue more shares because they were uh, uh, their stock price was lower. Trulieve waited until their stock price was higher, then did a bunch of deals, so less share count. So that's, that's fine, it's just two different ways of doing it, but it all depends on what are the returns you generate from those things you bought. Yeah, got it. Got it. Yeah. And, and you know, that, um, especially in a high growth industry, right? If, if you pick the right, like, let's just use Curaleaf as an example, right? If you pick the right international market uh, where no one is and it just pops, right? Like those shares that were issued, you'll get that EBITDA per share back, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we, we'll have to wait and see how that looks like. But Trulieve is coming from a, a point of strength, you know, Verano, GTI, I, because they just have less shares now. So you, as when you buy one share, you're entitled to more cash flow. Yep. Uh, that That is all I had to mention on earnings. I don't know if you wanted to add anything else before we move on to the next topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, guys, that's the cannabis uh, recap. And so we're, we're gonna do it again for, uh, obviously we've got more companies reporting next week. Truly, uh, the rest of the pack. So, so we're we're gonna continue to follow the cannabis earnings. So, you, if you're listening now, first time to the pod, um, please come back again, subscribe because uh, you'll you're gonna get the full download from us, and it's it's not gonna be like just you know, um, it's not gonna be window uh, window dressing. It's no, it's, it's, we, it's not know, topical, get, just like news. You know, like we're we're getting into the weeds and helping you figure out what you buy and when and if yeah, we bought them. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So Scott's like, man, Scott's, uh, Scott's it, the professor in this, uh, he, you know, he was, uh, he's been covering this sector now since 2018. Uh, that, the, that was the, time. you know, that the report that we put out in February, 2018 was up in smoke, the overvalued haze of Canadian pot stocks It all ended up being factually true and it all came true. Right. It is. So, you know, we're, we've seen every side of this, um, you know, our backgrounds, I was at uh, TD Asset Management, uh, portfolio manager Scott. That's where I met Scott. He was uh, he was in New York uh, doing like go go credit, uh, all sorts of like amazing amazing things happening on the energy side. Yeah, and then I then I did stocks before that, so I kind of I wanted to be well rounded, so I did the stocks and the bonds. Yeah, that, that. you know what, if, if for those listening about pathways, right? So prior to that, Scott was uh, at the number one, uh, just literally like, the, so I covered energy and, and Credit Suisse was like the, the shop for energy in terms of quality research. Scott was there, he was an analyst. Um, and uh, you know, one thing I can say for a fact is if you do the equity side and then you do the credit side, you know, you know every which way the knife can come. You really yeah. do. That helped uh, me a it, lot in, in cannabis yeah. in the early days. From the, when you have your, your debt hat on, you look at the balance sheet, and a lot of people weren't even paying attention to the balance sheet, and that was no. important for forecasting things. For sure. And that that truly is the Achilles heel of a lot of equity investors because, you know, you can say on the income statement for, you know, you be like, hey, listen, I'm going to jock it. But, you know, the the skeletons are in the balance sheet, Scott. Income statement's fun. It's all the upside. Balance sheet <laughs> is boring. It's all the downside. 
that's that's the closet, the skeletons. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's cannabis, guys. If, if you're not subscribed, make sure you subscribe. Uh, we're bringing the heat for it. We're, if there's something that we're, we'll be doing a weekly segment on cannabis. Uh, obviously, you guys are all so tech, cannabis, uh, and other growth sectors. That's what's coming every week on the Grizzle Pod. Yes. And so we want to end it off just talking more in general about earnings and some of the trends we noticed from the past two weeks. Um, cannabis, you know, shared some of these trends, but there's some unique stuff. And I think to kick it off, you have to understand what type of market we're in from a volatility perspective. And we have a great chart on that that just shows how many equity call options are being bought compared to history. And it's not even a comparison. So you don't even need to look at the chart. Retail investors have un have figured out that you can buy call options and push up stocks now. And so the amount of call options being bought are multiples above where we've ever been before. Yeah, and, and this is really so this is we think this goes this is explaining a lot of why there is so much volatility this earnings season. It's incredible. Like I've never seen anything like this where you're seeing <sighs> Again, the S&P 500 as a whole, Scott, is not like, you know, cratering here, but you're seeing growth stocks, some like, so Airbnb, we talked about Airbnb up 25%. Then you're seeing like a Zillow or, you know, obviously like uh, Peloton down 50, you know, these sorts of like cratering moves. You just got to think the options in general, just like basically these stocks, the way the analogy I say is like, basically what options do, Scott, it's like you're just say you had a normal stock, right? It's just like a puddle, right? It's, just, you know, things flow, maybe get a little wave. But here, what options do is like, it's like a tightly wound uh, rubber band, right? It, it, it So whatever happens on that earnings day, good, bad, ugly, whatever, you're just, it's just gonna basically amplify that move, right? It's so it's taking what equity markets, the an analogy here was a go-kart thing. <laughs> You know, and, and now you're like F1. It's like, like that's what options do. It takes the world from go-kart equity investing to F1. Yeah. And I mean, on the ground, what we're seeing, I've never seen before. There's earnings. The gist of it is if it's a very expensive company, you better be certain that it's going to beat estimates. Because if it doesn't, it can be down 20% like after hours right away. Like, boom. So I've just never seen this many moves on earnings up or down that can be 15%, 20%. Like, it used to be 5% was a big move. No longer. We're like 20% is the new five, in this, yeah, at yeah, least yeah. in this earnings season. For sure. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a dynamic that, you know, we're, it's, and I think people just got to get used to it. I think the only, uh, the only fix for that, Scott, is don't be concentrated. Have, have a diversified set of bets, right? So, from from our perspective, uh, obviously we're owning all the growth pillars, and I have to say, if we didn't own all the growth pillars, this it, it would be a rough ride through the year because you, obviously you're celebrating wins like Dutch Brothers and and the like, but then you know you got extreme volatility with you know things like like we talked last week about Compass, poof, it, it was like rocket ship, but then. You know, and, and I'll, guys, make sure you subscribe to the the uh, the Grizzle Weekender because that's where we'll that's where we get to distill thoughts that basically don't fit into an hour here. But basically, I'll just like give the Compass example, Scott. It's just you know you what we had on the surface is we had a very good set of results for their for their phase two B. It came out, um, the end. But then you know you have some things around like well, some people had suicidal ideations, uh, you know, creating 
creating some volatility inside. But then you, you so you'll get the stock up like for 40, 50 percent, then giving back 15, 20. You know, it just it's this is very volatile action. And the only way to to really do this properly is not to say one thing here, one thing there. I got five, ten stocks, Scott. I'm good. Like you know, like, I, like just I, I for can't just ever- for your mental well-being more than anything. I mean, that's why no. that's that's the most important part of diversification. It just keeps you from making dumb dumb decisions. Exactly, and and you know the way we look at it very very importantly too is also baking in and understanding the volatility of all the different pieces that we have. Because at the end of the day, I can't emphasize this enough. Volatility is the just, it's like, which volatility is so important because if your end, if your end of the road is the same point, but it's just like a smoother ride, just what that does for you is just, it's such a different dynamic. Like you don't want to be coming in, like puking one day, popping champagne the next, like that's not fun. No, it's not a fun way to do it. (laughs) No, no. Yeah. So, but uh, again, so like, you know, whatever you're doing, just make sure your bets, you, you have bets that are diversified across the, the the slivers too. That's what you got to do, right? So cam- cannabis, gaming, gambling, whatever. But uh, you know, just have you know have exposure that's diversified and have up exposure across multiple pillars. That's that's yeah. what you got to do. You got to live your life stress free, and uh, you got to play the game. The longer you play the game, the better chances you win. That's how the stock market works. One hundred percent. And before we up. end off, we got to thank our sponsor, Wide Shorts. Always, uh, always doing good stuff for us. Always uh, helping us out. Uh, all the charts you see, right? It's all wide. Yeah, all all that board. analysis we just did on cannabis that was powered by wide charts. Yeah, and uh, we, you know, we got some get some big ideas in the in the pipeline. So stay tuned. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know, like you know what powers us up? It's fundamental analysis and the professor. He uses wide charts, so uh, that's. Uh, doesn't get better. Doesn't get a better plug than that. And uh, if you follow us on Twitter, that's you see you see that's what we're dropping all the time. Um, that's episode thirty-one, Scott. Guys, don't forget. I'll, I'm driving to Philly, so I, you know what I I'm I'm gonna be out there uh, for Cannabis Con and Psychedelics Con in Philadelphia. Uh, but it's it's gonna be delivered to you in your living room, in your LinkedIn, in your YouTube. The Grizzle Broadcast Studio will be lit up. Wherever you are, we're finding you and delivering you the best. And this truly is the the CEOs that we've got together, uh, the corporates. Uh, what we really, Scott and I really try to curate a conference that we walk away saying, "Damn, I learned a lot." <laughs> yeah, know, and, yeah. Why, and, why do I want to put on a conference that's just filler, right? For us and for you guys, we want to bring insights, and that's why we we set it up and we bring on the people that have the insights and we ask them the questions that are going to get you the answers that you need. That's right. And, and they are from our perspective, of course, making sure that you have executives that you, that you respect and you know, that are going to add a lot of insight is so critical, right? That, that, you know, that truly, you couldn't do this in cannabis in 2018, Scott, you had a bunch of rodeo clowns that, you know what I mean? A bunch of promoters, that are no longer around. They're all gone. What you have now is a great group of executives that are that are uh, tying the industry together. We're gonna we're and we're gonna be talking to each one of them in both uh, cannabis and psychedelics. So this is an exciting time, back to back, November twenty second, twenty third. That's Grizzle Pod episode thirty one. Thank you for joining. Take it easy, everyone. 